0: Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from Brazil, Paraguay, Finland, Israel, Uganda, Australia, and the United States. And uh, I'm pretty sure that that means that this is the first time in this podcast that the news has covered all six major inhabited continents. I sincerely hope that at no point in this podcast is there going to be fascist activity in Antarctica to tell you about, but if there is, you'll be sure to hear about it here on this podcast. Starting out in Brazil, there are continuing investigations in Brazil over the failures of that country's intelligence branches on January the 8th. Recall that on January 8th of this year, Brazilian supporters of ousted President Jair Bolsonaro invaded that country's capital square, essentially where the three main branches of the federal government of Brazil are headquartered In the country's capital of brasilia the investigations of the brazilian government are related to an attempt to figure out exactly what it was that went wrong on january 8th the 8th you know there was there were a lot of warning signs about the fact that the capital buildings were going to be invaded there were a lot of warning signs about people making threats about people saying that they wanted to spark military intervention so why did the intelligence branches fail to prevent this from happening Additional investigations going on in Brazil involve the ousted president, Jair Bolsonaro. Now, he is under investigation for a lot of stuff, for corruption, for all sorts of things, for potentially being involved in this January the 8th attempted coup. However, this specific one is a little bit different. He's under investigation for falsifying his COVID vaccine record. Bolsonaro famously claimed to have never been vaccinated for COVID-19, And he himself apparently has gotten it about three times, you know, depending on how you count it. He and his press have, of course, never been clear about whether he has ever tested positive for COVID. However, he has been in the United States. Remember that he left Brazil in December of last year, ahead of the inauguration of his opponent and the current president of Brazil, Lula. And to enter the United States and then to re-enter Brazil, you have to you have to show your COVID vaccine record. You have to prove that you have been vaccinated for COVID-19. This means that he is probably lying in some capacity. You know, he's either lying about not having gotten vaccinated or he falsified his documents and said that he was vaccinated in order to be able to do this traveling. His home has been searched by the Brazilian military police because of this investigation. And one of his aides has been arrested over this investigation, potentially somebody who was involved and the falsification of these records. Moving on to Paraguay, the conservative political party has continued its dominance of that country's politics, with the election of Santiago Peña, the new president of Paraguay, part of the long-governing Colorado Party. In Finland, the conservative party has said that they are open to forming a coalition with Finland's extreme right-wing party. In Finland, the conservative party is called the National Coalition, which is considering forming a coalition that is a united group of people to run a parliament together, uh, forming a coalition with the Finns party, that is F-I-N-N-S party. The Finns party is an extreme right-wing party as opposed to the National Coalition, which is a conservative party. The Finns party is virulently anti-immigrant, they're anti-Muslim, and they're anti-queer, sort of in the vein of many other extreme right-wing European parties. These two parties are the largest in Finland's parliament right now, and so them working together makes sense on an electoral level, but it also means the right-wing radicalization of Finnish politics. Moving on to Israel, there might be a new extreme right-wing National Guard force in that country. This National Guard force has been proposed to be led by the Jewish Power Party, an extreme right-wing Jewish Nationalist Party. Apparently, the possibility of making this new armed force was in exchange for a sort of political maneuver on behalf of Benjamin Netanyahu. Benjamin Netanyahu is the conservative prime minister of Israel, and he is currently ruling alongside a number of extreme right-wing Jewish nationalist parties, many of which are extremely opposed to the protections of the rights of Muslim people and Palestinians in Israel or in Palestine. Now, one of these coalition members is the Jewish Power Party. Netanyahu has been facing a lot of problems in Israel over his proposed changes to Israeli judicial law, specifically changes that would allow him and his political allies to sort of push through whatever legislation and changes that they wanted to Israeli law. Now, Netanyahu has backed down from those provisions. He is not going to push those forwards, at least not until the summer. And it seems like he needed to provide his coalition members something that that they could go to their extreme right-wing bases to say like, hey, this is what we got in exchange for backing down from our conservative agenda, from, from our conservative agenda of eliminating judicial independence in Israel. And what the Jewish Power Party has gotten is the promise of this new National Guard to be controlled by their minister in the Israeli government. The thing is that this could end up just being hot air, right? It could just be something that the Jewish power party needs in order to talk to their base and justify their politicking, or it could be the harbinger of some alarming escalation in the Israeli government's attitude towards Palestinian people. Moving on to Uganda, the Ugandan parliament has passed an extremely, extremely anti-queer bill, which uh, I am sorry to tell you is actually a somewhat moderated version of what they were originally considering. The original bill was uh, a nightmare. It it proposed that anybody who knew about homosexual acts needed to report them, and if they didn't and were found out to have not reported them, they could themselves be held criminally responsible. As it stands now, that provision has been removed unless those homosexual acts involve children, which, you know, Uganda already has anti-pedophilia laws, so there, there really is no ad there. The bill as passed includes the death penalty for some homosexual acts and also includes provisions for people getting up to 20 years for, quote, promoting homosexuality, as in anybody who is a queer rights activist is now liable for criminal prosecution and imprisonment for up to 20 years in Uganda. The president of Uganda, a conservative, uh, President Museveni, says that this bill is a, quote, anti-imperialist bill, end quote. The idea is that the imperialists, the Westerners, are trying to impose their homosexual agenda on Ugandan politics. In Australia, the Liberal Party, which in Australia is their Conservative Party, yes, I I know, it's a little confusing, the Liberal Party of Australia has openly compared a proposed new policy that would consider the voice, the, the, the opinions of Indigenous people in Australia, they've openly compared this to apartheid. What's happening in Australia is that the government is considering a new provision called the Indigenous Voice. And the idea is that it was going to make sure that government policy considered the opinions, the policies, the perspectives of Indigenous people in Australia, of Aboriginal people in Australia. Government ministers of the Liberal Party, which is not in government in, in Australia, they are currently the opposition Government ministers, including the shadow attorney general, Michelia Cash, compared this new provision to apartheid. So yes, literally, that's a conservative party in Australia saying that considering the opinions of indigenous people in government policy is apartheid. Finally, moving on to the United States, there are new details that have emerged about Tucker Carlson's firing from Fox News. Apparently, his dismissal from the network was related to a text that he sent during the 2020 presidential campaign. His text was about a video that he saw in which he witnessed a mob of Trump supporters attacking a leftist person, attacking a person who he claimed was some sort of Antifa member. Carlson says that he found himself rooting for the right-wing mob, rooting for these people to kill this leftist guy, and that Tucker Carlson, when he, when he felt himself feeling this, these things, he said to himself, quote, and, and again, this, this is literally what Tucker Carlson said. He said that this is, quote, not how white men fight. So Tucker Carlson was thinking that attacking these people is not how white men fight. When, of course, what he was watching was a video of people who believed in the presidency of a white supremacist. He was witnessing them attacking somebody for his opposition To white supremacist politics. This is, of course, beyond the the fact that apparently this means that Tucker Carlson believes that people who aren't white do fight this way, again, despite the fact that what he was watching was white people fighting this way. It's it's just really awful, Uh, but frankly, it's not the worst thing that the man has said. This is probably just a screen that they are using in order to say, like, oh, well, this was what was beyond the pale, when in reality... It could be something much worse that they're trying to hush and you know keep under the rug, or it could be just that they thought that it was time to cut their losses and try to rebrand. Tucker Carlson, of course, is going to continue to be a major figure in U.S. media and politics. I, I am I am unfortunately here to guarantee that to you. The man has been cut down before, and he is a very good propagandist. It's probable that he's going to come back. Finally, in the United States, the news network CNN is ending its essential boycott of having Donald Trump appear on the network. He is going to come back to CNN, meaning that the, the network that conservatives in the United States, one of them that they hold up as the example of liberal mainstream media that is keeping Trump and his belief systems, his perspectives out of television, you know, they, they've abandoned that now. Trump is now back in mainstream television, again, despite the fact that he, you know, attempted a coup two years ago. Finally, I'm going to close out this week, like I do every week, with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. Today, I'm talking about Carl Fritsch, a Nazi who is supposedly the man who first suggested using Zyklon B as a mass murder tool in the Holocaust. Also, before I move into this, I want to note that this week in history is the time of the big, major Nazi deaths. They're all this week because the Battle of Berlin, that is the Soviets' conquest of Berlin, happened this week. So also dead this week in history are people like Hitler, Joseph Goebbels, Bormann, a lot of the big, top Nazis. I have covered them in previous episodes. Highly encourage you to, to look through the back catalog of this episode and review those particular deaths. Now, back to Mr. Fritsch. Karl Fritsch was born in Bohemia, in 1903 to a working class family. His family moved around a lot when he was a kid, and he had no formal education in his life. He worked as a laborer, sometimes on boats. He then joined the Nazis in 1930. So when the party was a rising power, but not yet in power, he was, you know, 26, 27 with a party number member in the 200,000s. So, you know, not the earliest Nazi, but not a late one either. He also immediately joined the SS, that is, one of the paramilitary organizations of the Nazis, and it's, I guess, fortunate for him that he didn't join the SA, because after the Nazis won power, the SS destroyed the SA in a sort of, like, internal party conflict. Fritsch tied his entire career for the rest of his life to the SS. He remained an SS man until his death. Almost immediately after the Nazis, and specifically the SS, opened Dachau Prison, in 1934, he was assigned to it, and Fritsch would spend the next several years essentially being a prison and concentration camp man for the SS. At the time, Dachau prison was primarily a political prison, holding people whom the Nazis believed to be politically unfit for being in Germany, but not necessarily part of an ethnic cleansing operation quite yet. Specifically, the people that were held in Dachau when he first arrived were people who were Jehovah's Witnesses, Queer men, that is gay men. It was a forced labor and death through overwork system. However, as the concentration camp system was eventually converted into a wide-scale ethnic cleansing program, Fritz moved along with it. He was eventually assigned as the you know sort of deputy commander of Auschwitz under Rudolf Hess in 1940. There in Auschwitz, Fritz gained a reputation as a ready torturer and extremely cruel camp leader. He personally presided over torturing people. He had them starved. He spoke to the new prisoner, the new arrival people at Auschwitz in order to terrify them. He was famous for telling them that, you know, the only way out of Auschwitz is through the chimney. He even had people sealed into brick enclosures while alive to starve inside of them. According to Hess, it was also in this time that Fritsch came up with the idea of using Zyklon B, which was a cyanide-based pesticide that was invented in Germany in the 1920s, as a way to mass murder people. Fritsch started these experiments with Soviet POWs, that is prisoners of war, whom he killed in, a, in an inexpert way because he, he hadn't sealed the chamber correctly, and so they, they, they very slowly died. However, the means of using Zyklon B to kill people very quickly was gradually expanded and to use a terrifying word, improved upon in Auschwitz during Fritsch's time there. In 1942, he got a promotion. He was transferred to the smaller Flossenberg camp, which was near the Czech border with Germany. This is a forced labor camp that was primarily building Nazi aircraft, but here he was the camp commander. He stayed there for about a year, but in 1943, Fritsch was arrested in a corruption sting by his own SS, He was charged with murder and was moved to the front line to fight against the Soviets. And this is where the story of his life gets a little bit complicated. He was involved in the Battle of Berlin, which again happened this week. And it is presumed that he died in that battle because he was never seen again after the Battle of Berlin. Presumably, he either died from military action, that is from the Soviets killing him, or as some sources say, from suicide. However, Soviet intelligence maintained that the British MI6, that is the British equivalent of the CIA, caught him in Oslo, Norway, trying to escape from Germany, and that the MI6 handed him over to some Jewish commandos, knowing that they would kill him. In any case, Fritsch is dead, and it is a good thing. So, Carl Fritsch, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out in all one word. You can reach me on Gmail at 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com and also on Twitter at histoftheright, that's H-I-S-T of the right, and fascism15. All right, thanks very much, and I will talk to you next week.